are hungry for you and you are looking for a people who are hungry together as a body seeking you oh God we just don't seek your healings we don't seek your this or that we seek you Lord because that's the desire of our hearts we want you Lord and I pray for every heart here tonight that Lord God you'd begin to work within us deeply Father, you've been removing a lot of obstacles out of the way so that all that's left is you. And Father, we want you. We want you. We want you. And I pray for a hunger corporately. I pray for a hunger in this room. Maybe there has been deserts. Maybe it's been difficult. Maybe it's, there's been hurdles to get over. But I pray tonight that regardless of where you are, There'll be such empowerment and a hunger after the things of God. Father, I pray for the things of the world to grow dim, that you would grow brighter. Oh, Lord God, nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to you. Father, we just love you and we bless you. We just want to worship you and lift up our hands. Let's just lift up our hands, everybody. Holy Spirit, just breathe upon us afresh. Holy Spirit, just breathe upon this congregation, this body of people. Father God, I pray for mindsets, Lord, old mindsets to be broken. I pray, Father God, that there would be a shift in people's hearts. Lord God, there would be an alignment with His will and His purpose, an alignment with His Word. For you are the living Word. Father, I just pray for something to ignite in their spirits tonight that would cause them to run after you more than anything else. Fill our hearts with your love. Love for you and love for each other. But we can't manufacture that. Only your love can change us. Father, we love you and we bless you. Thank you, Father. And everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, musicians. Let's give them a hand. They do a fantastic job. Sorry, is that me? <laughs> Welcome tonight, everybody. It's um, it's great to be back. Sandra and I have been on holiday for not quite a fortnight, but um, it was lovely just to get away and just to get up into the... Uh, Brown Ketty Ketty. I don't know whether people know where Ketty Ketty is. It's just a little wee place, but we were at a campsite there. It's near Tauranga. And we had gorgeous weather. It was just lovely. And it was just beautiful just to, to get away and get refreshed and renewed. But it's good to get back into the year. And I know some people are still away and all sorts of things like that. But it's, it's great to get refreshed, to come back and hunger for God for more. And this year is going to be a great year. I really sense it. You know, God's been doing a lot of works through and around us, but he's going deeper, going deeper, if we will allow him. And there's so much more in store for us as we embrace what he is doing. Well, if there's anybody new here today, I just want to welcome you. Um, I don't know whether there's anybody here for the very first time. If you could just 
wave and just give you give us a wave or a hand just to let us know you're here. No, they all are there. Is somebody over there? Just <laughs> we've got just a little pack for you, and it's uh, got a free voucher there for a free coffee or a drink or something like that that you can uh, join with people in the cafe afterwards. We just want to welcome you here, and there's um, a form there if you want to fill out. It's entirely up to you, and and we can it's there to help meet your needs. But we just want to welcome you as a family, and we're part of a family walking together through a lot of transitions. Well, tonight my message is called the greatest symphony yet to be written. I was thinking about that title, but in some ways, it's a symphony already being written. It's a symphony that God's been writing from the, since the beginning of time, but for us, it can be a new thing. For him, he's been doing working on it for a long, long time. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not an advert for classical music. <laughs> Even though I grew up playing in orchestras and I studied music and, and all that sort of thing, and it was part of my family history as being tied up in, in that field and in, in, in that thing. And I love that sort of, uh, that sort of thing. And my wife's a, a violinist as well. But the fact is that there is a symphony that God is writing. It's something really quite beautiful. And I want to be able to bring that to you. Because we've been talking a lot about walking together, haven't we? Over the last year, we've talked a lot about walking together. And I just want to bring a new perspective on it to help open your eyes so that you can see it from a different angle as we walk into 2013. Well, I just want to go back a little bit, if I can. You know, over the last two two and a half years, really, The Rock has been on a journey. It's been one of some of the most difficult years we've faced, and yet some of the most amazing things that have been going on in it. And so God has literally been having to shake us, been having to shake us to get our attention, right? And so he's had to get our attention, and so that he's been able to slowly dismantling all sorts of things that needed to change in order for him to outwork his plan and not ours. God wants to build his kingdom in us and through us as a body. But in order for him to do that, he's got to remove a lot of junk in the way. True? And so our journey began, if you like. It would have been so easy, or a lot easier, or a lot more convenient if Greg had just left everything as it was. True? It would have been so much easier. We could have just carried on what we were doing. We could have played church. We could have done all sorts of things. We could have tried to be popular. We could have tried to get all the crowds in and do all the big whistles and bangs and whatever. As long as we look good on the outside. However, as we know, Greg encountered God in a way that he had never expected. And God turned his world upside down. And he's been doing that ever since. (laughs) And for us as well. And you see, he suddenly saw a new reality that shocked him. The fact is that when you begin to see what God's building and what man is building... It's worlds apart. And suddenly you get this reality of, my goodness, what trail are we on? And so Greg faced a huge decision. Leave things as they were as if nothing happened and played church and remained popular or actually face the truth and bring about the changes God was requiring 
of us with the possibility that we could see people leave and that the rock could lose our reputation. What would you rather have? So change has been a constant companion for us over the last couple of years, but God's not finished with us yet. And don't forget, it took over 40 years for the children of Israel to change from a rabble of people into a nation who belonged to God. God's changing things in us. And I'm so grateful for Greg to take that stand of what he's doing because he wants to follow in what God is doing, not what man is building. But a lot comes down to the oversight, what we see. And it's interesting too, you know, the war over the church is the battle for sight, to be able to see spiritually what God is doing, not what man is doing. You see, we can get caught up into the, the thing of always looking back over our shoulder and longing for the past, just like the Egyptians, uh, the children of Israel did when they first came out of Egypt. They kept looking back. Man, you get a stiff neck looking back like that. But that's what they did. And they couldn't progress or enter into what God had for them because they were always looking back there. Or you can be looking just as what we are now. And you can see people coming and going. You can see this happening and that happening. And you can still be a little bit unstable. Or you can see what God is doing and building out there. Then suddenly when you begin to understand it through revelation and you start to see what God is establishing, you know, the sacrifices in between are worth it. Because you know you're leading towards something that is far greater. I mean, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem because he saw something there that others didn't. Others were saying, hey, stay here, go here, and uh, this stay with us, don't go. But he's saying, no, I've got a journey to fulfill. And that's where he went. And everything else that was sacrificed in between, which was his life, was worth it because he saw us. So when we see the bigger picture, something changes. You know, it's about our future being outworked now. So when we see it, we can outwork it now. But if it's a dream and something fiddly out there, you'll never go for it because you can't see it. An athlete going for the Olymp training for the Olympic Games knows that their goal is the medal at the other end. They know what they're training for. But if they didn't have that goal, and if they were just going to some sort of games with no point in winning, do you think they'd give up halfway through? They probably would. And when you see and catch what God is leading us towards, then the sacrifices made, those things that need to die or change are worth it. And God sees differently to God sees us differently to how we see ourselves. And he's leading us towards being like him. That's whole part of the journey, is on that journey, he's changing us to be more like him. Not just individually, but as a body. We need each other. And we're going to have a look at that very shortly. But playing church doesn't cut it with God. Playing church is not on God's agenda. He is so much more for us. Why do, the, why do the imitation thing if we can become the real deal? Ever thought about that? Why play it? Let's be it. Let's become what God is establishing. But for this purpose to, process to happen, 
Good shot, Private. Thank you, sir. Squirrel hunting. You ever killed a man? No, no, sir. But you're handy with a gun. Yes, sir. Reload. Faster. Faster. Discharge your weapon. Discharge your weapon. Do it! Now do it again, only this time I want it done quickly. A good man can fire three aim shots in a minute. Major Forbes, give me a Colt's revolver. One. Your gun. Give it to me. Faster! Reload! Quickly! Faster! Faster! Load! Faster! Do it! Do it! Do it! Do it! Teach them properly, Major. Yes. Attention, company! Okay. Ready! Aim! Fire! 
It's a really, really good movie, actually, if you want to talk about leadership. It's a, it's a really, really good one. But the, the point of the whole thing was, he was a good shot, wasn't he? He was pretty good. But when the pressure came on, how good was he? Now, when we're training or, or developing you, is it best just to be oh, lovely-dovely? But when the pressure comes on, what are we like? Can we handle that? You see, Colonel Shaw, he was only 23 years of age, was given a mandate by the U.S. government, not the army, the U.S. government, to raise up a regiment of African-American soldiers. Now, it had never been really done before. And so when he raised them up, a lot of the um, people there, uh, officers above and below, thought, oh, well, they'll never really fight. They'll just be used for manual labor. But Colonel Shaw didn't see that. He wasn't going to bring them up as toy soldiers doing nothing and having around, playing around with a weapon. He saw them as the best soldiers out. He saw them way beyond what others saw. Now, even the African-American soldiers thought he was a pretty mean man. But, you know, as time went on, they began to see his heart for them because he loved his men. He wanted everything for them. And even though he was tough, he was fair. And he did a lot of sacrifices for them to get them. And he had to go through a lot of wrangles just to get them onto the battlefield. But you know what? They proved to be well worth it. Under fire on the battlefield, many white units would run off, but they stayed their ground and would turn many battles around. Abraham Lincoln um, said that these men, or tributed to, to these men for the turning tide of the war. You see, we're not playing church, are we? Because when the battles come on, how are we going to stand? Sometimes there is a bit of tough love that has to happen to get you like that. But it's through discipleship too in the right way. It has to be done in the right way too. But I haven't got time to go over that. But I just wanted to open you up to show what sometimes changes can be tough. But the outward part, the end result is what we're leading you towards. And sometimes the truth has to readjust us. And even though we don't like sometimes what God is doing, it's important for us to go along the journey and to change on the inside so that when the days come that are tough, we're able to stand. You know, Colonel Shaw, who's only 23 years old, didn't fight from way in the back. He fought in the front row with his men. It cost him his life. He laid down his life with his men. What an incredible story that is. <clears throat> we want the best for you. So the question is, what can we see? How, can we, how do we see ourselves? How do we see us as a body, as a church? Can we see what God is revealing to us through the prophetic words spoken to us over this church? And what about the prof- all the words that have been, uh, the sermons that have been preached in the last while? There's been so much God is giving to us and revealing to us the truth. What can we see? How can we take it on? To help us see, God has had to remove a lot of obstacles out of the way. We discover that over time, those things which may seem good in themselves actually became idols. I discovered quite a lot of idols in my life. And God went about removing them bit by bit. And the thing is that 
God began to touch and expose our hearts towards those things. And yes, even though they're external, our hearts had attached themselves to it, and me included. But they became stumbling blocks to us and had to be removed. We forget that God builds differently. And in Isaiah 62, verse 10, God declares in one part of that verse to remove the stones so that others may not stumble but may run with what God is doing. Did you know that in this church we are like forerunners? Other churches haven't gone through this process at all. Some are avoiding it. But what we're going through, we're actually removing the stone so that others may follow. We want to be able to remove those obstacles. And God is removing the inaccurate things in order to, for, those, uh, for others to follow free of hindrances. Do you remember in the, the story about the bronze servant? Moses was commanded by God to build this serpent and put it on the pole because the people had been grumbling. And people were getting bitten with snakes. And so God told him to make this thing and stick it into the ground. And anybody that looked upon the serpent on the, on the pole was healed. Now, it was amazing what that happened. But take the journey from when that happened to hundreds of years, in fact, about a thousand odd years later, in Hezekiah's day, people were bowing down to that pole and the snake on it. So Hezekiah, without hesitation, got it and destroyed it. Now, people may say, well, how could he do that? It was part of our journey. It was a symbol of God's healing power. You see, we can take what God originally did, and when man gets his hand on it, we can twist it and turn it and change it and do all sorts of things until it's way out of context. So over the years, God's been changing and removing certain things around us because we have done exactly that. And they've become higher than God himself. Boy, they've been tough lessons, but they've been necessary. See, God's not, he's building us according to his design, not an imitation. However, as we discovered, as God touched certain areas, all hell broke out as people tried to hold on to old or past wineskins. And many of those things were external, but however, they affected how we thought, how we saw, and how we spoke internally. But God's not finished with us yet. Even though he's removed a lot of external things, he's working deep within our hearts on the internal. Therefore, we must continue to allow God access into our hearts in order to transform us from the inside out, to create in us a new wineskin for us to receive and contain the wine that God is pouring out at this moment. And the reason why he's removing all those things is so that we rely and lean on him not on other people, not on a system or this or that, but on him. When I say people, we walk together, which is great. But if I'm always leaning on this man here, eventually I'm going to drain him. Now we need to learn to walk together and feed and help and encourage each other. That's different again. But if I'm always having to get my sustenance from somebody else, we actually need to change in here 
allow God to grow us and mature us. It takes a whole new mindset. It's interesting to note that the early church in the book of Acts, it mentions a number of times the word one accord. One accord. In fact, this was a unique word. A unique word to describe something that they had never seen before. Isn't that interesting? God moved so magnificently and amazing in the early church, and they didn't have a word to describe it. And that's where we get the word one accord. I'd pronounce it to you, but I have a few difficulties with it. But it's a compound of two words, meaning to rush along and in unison. It says it's all, the, the image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. As the instruments of a great, it's like an instrument of a great concert under the direction of the concertmaster, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. So it's a, like a symphony. It's another word to describe it, if you like. The oneness of sound. And God's writing a symphony. It's new to us, but it's not new to him. A sound that's being written as we speak. A sound that will issue forth something so beautiful, the world will look and stare in wonderment. We are the notes. We are the, that sound. We are his symphony. Have you ever thought about that? You are something that God is writing. Or rewriting, I should say. <laughs> So how do we become that one sound? How do we change? How do we become that? A sound so beautiful that's unadulterated by the sounds of the world that will be clear and distinct. It's interesting. I was just having a conversation earlier about, you know, that one accord, that oneness is so special. And I was reading a book about the underground church in China. And the thing was that all they had to rely on was the Bible. That's all they had. They had very few copies. And an American said to them, you know, what can we do to help? And he said, well, we need more Bibles. And so they started shipping in and smuggling in all these Bibles, which was great. But then they started putting in other little books, books about this and books about that with the shipments. And so when they shipped it all out to different areas, suddenly the underground church, one part over here would say, yes, but this person here says it should be this, this, and this. But they said, no, 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 the book over here says that it should be this and this and this. And so they suddenly had all this division all around the place. This is in the underground church. Purely because they got away from that. And they looked at man's opinion. You know, it took them about, they said, 10 to 12 years for the underground church to come back in unity. And they repented of what they'd done to each other and they washed each other's feet. And they had unity once more. Isn't that incredible? Sometimes we can get so waylaid with everything else but this. But this is where we get it from. Everything that causes the oneness. Anyway, sorry, that's a little bit of a sidetrack. But it begins with God working in a deeper level than us, in us. Not surface stuff, but transforming us so that we become one. One with him and one with each other, walking together. Now, walking together is not some far-off dream. Somewhere way out there. It's actually a reality that God's birthing in us right now to walk together. But it's a kingdom reality out being outworked now. 
But we have to first capture it in our hearts through revelation. How is God doing this? Have you ever prayed that? God, open my eyes to see how we can walk together. And Greg's been talking a lot about the, the, the love of God and seeing that and capturing that as well. But there's, there's so much more to it. And I long to see us walking together. I long, not in a man-operated or controlled way, but in a spirit-led way that organically grows and develops as we follow his lead. And for that to happen, you know what? I need to lose myself. For that to happen, it starts with me. For that to happen, it begins with God changing me from the inside out. For this to happen, I need his love in me because I can't produce it or manufacture it. For this to happen, I need to be able to be discipled in a safe environment. For this to happen, it requires all of us pursuing the same path so that we may journey as one. You know, I can look out here and say, well, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? But in actual fact, it starts with me. And the same thing, if we all take that, actually, I've got a responsibility. And if we all look at that in our own lives, there's a beginning point for us. So what does it mean to truly walk as one? Well, does it mean that we've got to wear the same clothes, have the same haircut? Does it mean to say we've got to eat the same food, be the same sort of person, does it? Or does it mean that we have to cry or laugh when we're told to, like those in North Korea? You've seen that? You weep because you've been told to weep. Or does it mean that we have to like country and western music? Sorry, Greg, if you're listening to this. <laughs> or any particular music. <laughs> or does it mean that we have to think a certain way and nothing outside of that is acceptable. I was going to say squares, but that's round. <laughs> or does it mean that we have to, and certain times of the day, we all have to pray in the same way in the same place? <laughs> so what does oneness mean to you? When you think about it, all those things are external. The oneness comes from in here, in deep within you know, we know that God created each of us in his likeness, and yet we all look different. He gave us a special uniqueness that no one else has together. And together, something amazing happens when we join our hearts together as one. In fact, he created us to fit together. Did you know that? Even with all our imperfections. I'm certainly not perfect. But it's not our talents or our gifts the giftings or our intellect or even our willpower that can join us together. It's him and his love in our hearts for each other. It's him, not us. And when we surrender, guess what? When we surrender as one, we are not surrendering our uniqueness, but giving what we have freely to enhance the body of Christ. You know, we don't lose, we actually gain when we surrender all that we have to him. I could hold on to my gifting. I'm this, I'm that. I've got a special gift of this and that. But you're not going to share it. That's old mentality. That's standing on a platform saying, hey, look at me, everybody, in my gifting. God's not into that. He's actually asking us 
to give and to surrender what we've got so that the whole body may be blessed and to work together. And we've all been given different things in this room that God is able to build and use. You are all unique. You are all special. There's something in all of you I don't have. I can't do it myself. We are all different. Look at this. A rugby team is made up of how many players? 15 on the field, right? They do have a lot of other. But imagine if all those players, Richie McCall was the only player, 15 times on the field. Do you think we'd win a game? Why not? Richie calls a fantastic player, isn't he? But why wouldn't we win? Because we need everybody's talents. We need tall locks. We need fast wing people on the wings. We need a fullback that can kick and uh, defend and all that sort of thing. And as great as Richie McCall is, you need all the 15, and that's why the All Blacks have been so good, because they play as a team. With all different attributes, with all different skills, together they play as one with the same goal. They want to win. The church is no different, really. We have so much richness amongst us here. But if I keep hold of what I've got, you will never benefit from it. God never designed it to be that, but to be freely given away. After all, it wasn't ours to begin with anyway, if you see it like that. The church is no different. It's the uniqueness that's amazing. So how do we prepare ourselves for this oneness? There's a number of ways, but I just want to impart one way to you, or just reveal just a little bit. I mean, there's so many different things here, but this is one small bit. And there's a number of ways, but it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. I'll just read it out very quickly. Acts chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. This is talking about the disciples uh, after the resurrection. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, uh, into the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Simon, Judas, the son of James, and all these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So there's all these people coming together. It says here, you know, after the resurrection had taken place, Jesus had told them to go back to Jerusalem and stay there for the filling and filling of the Holy Spirit. Correct? Now, they went back there. Now, notice something. There was obedience that took place. And because they were in a discipleship environment, they could trust each other. I'm not speaking about discipling today, but that's such an important key for you to grow as one, learning to be able to be discipled. And here was this group of people. And this is before they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says here that they were, oh, they continued, all of them continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So here they were together being obedient. And so, as I said, you know the word all? You know what that means? I mean, how can I break it to you gently? It means all. 
It means everyone. I'm not sure how to expound that out a little bit more, but, but it means everybody, not just some people, not the, the spiritual ones, or not just the leaders, or this one or that one. It means all of us. And the word one accord is used a number of times in Acts, right the way through. And uh, I think I've got that listed up there. But it's amazing the number of times one accord they did this and one accord. You know, even when they were before filled with the Holy Spirit, but after that, it prepared their hearts for walking together as one because their hearts were in line. But there's also, and I haven't got time to go into it, there was also counterfeit one accords as well. But I haven't got time to go into that. But you know, when Stephen was saying things, the others rushed at him with one accord. The first time they were using it collectively. But what was it that they continued to do with one accord? What was it? It was prayer and supplication. Prayer means to to pray, to worship, to supplicate, to earnestly make prayer. But look at this, supplication. Look at this word, a petition, a request, prayer, to beg as one being Uh, sorry, one binding oneself, to beseech a demand for something due. Isn't that interesting? Or searching for something hidden. The idea of an urgent need to learn, ask, demand, inquire, to understand. It's a lot, isn't it? To seek something due or demand something due. You know, God had promised them the Holy Spirit. And so with one accord, they went back and they prayed because they knew that God was going to outpour something. So they didn't just sit back and do nothing. They were preparing their hearts to receive. See, this wasn't a little prayer meeting they were having where half of them fell asleep or they had trouble motivating themselves. This was something that was collective passion that knew God was about to do something and they needed to have a prepared heart. You know, when God's returning, we're his bride. Are we preparing ourselves or are we sitting back waiting for something just to happen? Even between them, they were so different. And it was Jesus that had brought them together. And yet here they are, before being filled with the Holy Spirit, seeking God with everything they had with prayer and supplication. And God's doing something amongst us, preparing our hearts so that we may enter into his purposes and not ours. What a privilege that is to do something that he's doing and not ours. To be a part of what God is doing globally. It's far bigger than just this place when we look at it. Yet if I'm honest with myself, and I had to ask myself this question, where is that passion? Where is that desire to search for that which is hidden? To demand for that which is due, to inquire and to understand of God's purposes at that time. I had to challenge myself. What's the passion level in here? I found I was waving up and down. I thought, God, I want more of what you're doing. I want to have my heart prepared and ready. Anyway, our desire is... Sorry, um, There is something in all of us that something wants to sit back and wait for God to do it all. It's about, I mean, it's that sort of very fine line. We can't do it. 
God has to do it, but we have to be prepared for God to do it in us. So there's that fine line. We have to do something. We have to actually prepare our hearts and position ourselves. Sometimes we can become very blasé and expect everything just to fall into our laps. When a guy, when a, when a, a bride is preparing for a wedding, she just doesn't sit back and just let everything just happen. Oh, I'll just come together. She's actually actively preparing for what God is doing. She wants to be her best on that day. Prayer and supplication is such a powerful key in coming together as a body. It's where we grow together. When you pray and you, and you pray together, not just individually, but as we praise it together, there's something about revealing what's on our hearts. I know one thing that Sandra and I have prayed, we pray off and on together, but we learn to know each other's hearts. And we, when we, we're reading the words, we're always sharing what God's been speaking to us about. And I get to know what's on her heart. And so forth, she gets to know what's on my heart. What's it like when we do that together? Whether it's in groups or whether it's in a, as a body. Praying together reveals, uh, helps us to grow together and ask questions. We can't just do that all by ourselves. We need others for it. Our desire is to step in with what God's doing. It requires us, uh, our desire to seek him out for him to remove our blindness so that we can see and a humble heart to repent when he reveals certain things to us through revelation, the things that we need to change. And prayer and supplication brings that to us. If you want revelation of what God is doing, prayer and supplication is one of the best ways of doing it. And look at the number of times it talks about in the Old Testament. They rose up as one man. When God moved, when the people came together as one, God's hand moved. What's it like when we come with one accord? Prayer and supplication also helps us to see as a body where God is leading us through prayer, through prophecy, through all the words that are spoken. It also helps us to focus where God wants to focus our attention. So when we pray as a corporate body, we're actually praying in the same direction, the same way. That's how important it is. You'll find that through past moves of God, it's always preceded by God's people seeking him with prayer and supplication. You see it right throughout history. People hungering and praying together with such a hunger and a thirstiness, suddenly God's spirit moves. Because they've positioned themselves to engage. One of the most important parts of prayer and supplication is that brings our spirit man into alignment with his spirit. When you begin to pray, earnestly seeking him as a body, God aligns us with his purposes, not ours. So we can be so consumed with our things and our wants and our desires, but when we pray together, it helps to focus us and align us with his will, his spirit to our spirit. We become in tune with him and what he's building. Praying together does not just align our hearts with him, but causes us to know our Father. The more we pray and seek him together, we begin all to know different attributes of the Father and what he's like. 
And I can guarantee you that the way you see our Father may be different to the way that you see our Father and the way that you see our Father. Some may see him as our healer. Some may see him as our shepherd. Some may see him as love. Some may see him in different ways, as a banner, as life. But you know, it's like the diamond. Diamond has many facets. And you turn it around and it sparkles and shines. Hence why we need to pray together and to be together. Because it brings out different parts in the characters of God. Because we only see very singularly sometimes. But together we see corporately. We see a bigger picture. Boy, how much we need that. And the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit had such a oneness about them. They were able to do things together. And it's helped Jesus to stay on the course and not to wander from it because he did only what he saw his Father doing. And when we pray together as a team, we begin to see what's on the Father's heart. We begin to hear what he wants us to say. We begin to see what he sees. And so we walk in that direction together. Unless we are led by the Spirit, we will resort to walking, working things out ourselves and falling way short of what God intended. Let's not lose sight of what God is doing here. And he's building his kingdom upon the earth globally, not just in little old Wellington, but there's a bigger picture globally that he's doing it. So here we have the early church. What would it look like if they tried to do it all themselves in their own strength? I mean, there was about 120 gathered around that time. What would it look like if they tried to do it themselves? Have you ever thought about that? Well, here's an example. First of all, there's a huge difference between what God builds and what man builds. And sometimes to the natural eye, it can look very similar and hard to tell the difference. Yet God is exposing that which is of him and which isn't. And we need the spirit of discernment to know the difference. I'll give you an example. Peter and those who were left after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ were instructed to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they stayed in an upper room, hiding from authorities. So far, so good. However, Peter was getting agitated. How long must we wait? This prayer thing has done its thing. I mean, after a couple of days, what else is there to pray? Surely God would have heard us by now. No, this waiting was getting on everybody's nerves. They had a job to do, and they were just wasting time. After all, uh, God, we're doing your work, so why delay, he thought. First things first, they needed a committee. A team of leaders who could get the job done. There had been some initial issues over who was kingpin, but that was quickly sorted out. I'm boss, he said. And we must have some sort of ladder for people to look up to. And if we're going to reach others, we need something special to draw them in. The bigger, the brighter, the better. The question was asked, what can, how can we attract young people? Maybe this modern music would do the trick. What? Belly dancing? It would never do. And some protested. And so for the rest of the day, they argued amongst themselves whether music was right or wrong, whether it was from God or of the devil. Finally, it was agreed that they use a small group of musicians and flag and scarf waving was optional, but no belly dancing. <laughs> yeah. 
Then one of them enthusiastically piped up and said, what about feeding some Romans to the lions? That would be a real winner. There was a look of horror around the room. Although Peter could think of several people he could easily volunteer, he dismissed it. We must forgive our enemies, he said. Gosh, only joking. No sense of humor or love in the church. (laughs) The answer came back. But who would speak? Who would speak? They were mainly fishermen. I mean, they had a zealot amongst them, but the authorities might recognize him and count him, so they might think he's causing a riot or a troublemaker. So they counted him out. Matthew, he was a tax collector, so people might think we're after their money. Now, Nathaniel was too rigid. We need somebody who could entertain, somebody who could hold them in their hands like putty. Maybe Andrew or Philip, maybe, because they got on well with everyone. Then somebody suggested Mary, (gasps) but she was a woman. Couldn't have that. As nobody was keen on doing it, they all voted that Peter should do it, being the leader. And as long as he didn't lose his temper, he told a couple of jokes, and as long as he kept from when the sundial moved from here to here, it would be fine. Some people are checking out my sundial too. (laughs) Advertising was discussed. Somebody would do the handouts, but not sure of the response though. There were no sponsors to help pay for it as yet. So Matthew had to come up with a financial plan. But what about food? Well, they were fishermen, so that surely should be a winner. And as fish and chips hadn't yet been invented, they would stick to the fishes and loaves. But besides, it was healthier, and Peter was on a compulsory diet by his wife. When the excitement died down, Thomas spoke up. But haven't you forgotten one thing? They all looked at him blankly. It won't work, and unless I can see this working, I'm not sure this is going to come off. And then we'll look silly in front of everybody. But more importantly, what about the Romans and the temple guards? Suddenly there was stunned silence. Maybe we'll tone it down a little bit. Maybe we'll just invite a few friends over. We'll have a meal. Maybe maybe we'll see how that goes. They decided to delay it until the committee would meet again. And in the meantime, fishing trips were organized. Can you see? I mean, we may laugh, but can you see what happens when man takes over? We can try and do it or work it all out, but all we're doing is building our own thing. They were told to wait in that room. They were told to wait until the power came from on high. And so together with one accord, they prepared their hearts. There was an urgency about what they were doing. There was an urgency to come and to seek God with everything that they had. No matter how long that took, they weren't going to leave that place. And on the day of Pentecost, guess what it says? And the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. They were in that position and they were ready for God to move. They weren't moving outside of God's timing. Unless it is birthed in the Spirit through prayer, we will only build another man-made structure. And then we have to keep its wheels spinning. Man, I'm sick of building man-made stuff. I've done enough of it. I know that, I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. We don't want that anymore. No, we can't build this. 
We simply have to prepare to lay everything down in prayer so that he can build it and establish his kingdom in us and through us. We can't build this. He has to do it. But we have to be prepared and ready. Rushing on. I know time's going. Praying together also causes us to have oneness of sight, a clarity of focus. We can walk together when we pray together because we're all moving in the one direction. When people saw the early church in action, they witnessed the one accord and they marveled. They hadn't seen anything like it. And many of us have this terrible fear that coming together as one accord means losing everything. We're going to be told what to do, and that's it. You're either told what to do or, you know, you're out. And so we have this communist fear mentality. And so that's one extreme. And we're frightened to think for ourselves. Or we have on the other extreme over here that says, well, I'm individualistic. I've got my rights and my this. I'm not going to conform to anything. I'm, I'm not going to change them to there because I'm going to fight for what I've got. So you've got the two extremes. And yet, that's not what God is building at all. It's somewhere totally in between their extremes. There is incredible freedom and joy when people surrender willingly to God. Not because you're told to, but willingly. God, I surrender all. So that he can use the uniqueness to spur each other on in our walk for Christ. And the early church was known for its incredible joy and love. And everyone was different, and yet they're all focused on the one thing, the kingdom of God. They're all so different, and yet they're all moving in the one direction. The fear of God and the overwhelming love of God, not the fear of man, spurred them on to greater levels. See, that's ruled by the fear of man. And even that's ruled by the fear of man. In God, there is freedom and joy and love. The result was that the people of the world looked and saw them and they carried something so unique that they too desired to have what they had. He was Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we see countless examples of when the people of God rose up and walked together in one spirit. And man, how it changed the world. Now, I just want to bring something a little bit different. <laughs> Everything comes back to being of one accord. Rushing along in unison together. It's a symphony being outworked as we speak. A oneness, a distinctness of sound. And as we said, the nearest one can describe it is like a symphony orchestra. And this is the sort of background that I grew up in. And I want to share it with you. The orchestra is a great example of how a large group of musicians, when playing together, can create the most beautiful sound. A oneness where everyone plays, even though they have different roles and parts to play. There's the concert master. Now, he's like the apostle. He's the lead violinist. And he's responsible for the whole orchestra. When this person stands up, everyone listens. 
And when he comes out to the stage, the orchestra's already on there, he comes out from the stage, and he bows to the audience, and he turns around and he tunes the orchestra. He gets them in tune so that when the, Holy, when the conductor comes, they're all ready to go. It's an interesting thing too that he or she is a violinist. And there's a lot of violinists, you'd say. There's more than violinists than any other instrument on there. You could say that it was common. They don't really stand out compared to, say, the brass or whatever. Yet the apostle, apostles make up, uh, the, the makeup of the apostle is one of servanthood. It's not there to stand out, although he carries something that the others don't. And even though he's the only, one of many violinists, he carries something the others don't. And there is something about his or her sound that brings a sweetness from the Father's heart. There's an authority about this person. Then there's the brass section. They're like the prophetic section, if you like, of the orchestra, playing a clear and powerful sound that is distinct, particularly the trumpet. It cuts across the noise of the orchestra, or at times it can blend in. It can vary. It's the prophetic voice of the orchestra at different levels when you look at it like this. Then there's the wood one, as you can hear a clarinet at the moment. They're like the teachers. They're somewhere between the brass and the strings, softer yet earthly in sound. They pass and throw the melodies from one to another. They are usually, there's usually less of them, and yet they add such a special flavor and a coloring to the sound that is produced. Then there's the percussion. They're like the evangelists. And their beat is a call to the ears. You know, you can have a whole orchestra playing, and the timpani can very lightly tap its beat on there, and it can be heard right the way through that noise. Then there's the pastors, and they're like the rest of the string section. There are more of them, but they produce a warmth and sound which causes hearts to be stirred and comforted. You know, there's something special about all these, all these string players. And I think I mentioned it before. When you get one person, and if you were to multiply him 30 times, it would still sound like one person playing. And it's the reason is the vibrato that you have, everybody's vibrato is different. When you put them together, it produces a warm sound. When we have togetherness, there's something beautiful that produces that warmth. Yet when the melodies are played, the themes and motives are interwoven between each section and individual instruments. The variety is incredible, but all play the same piece. But most are led by the conductor who controls the speed, the dynamics, the mood, the contrast, and brings his or her flavor to the music. The conductor is like the Holy Spirit. When we are one in spirit and are truly led by him, there is a sound that can't be compared to anywhere in this world. The question is this, will we become a part or a part of the piece that is being written right now by his hand and will we play our part in making this heavenly music? It's a good question, isn't it? It's quite different to what a lot of other orchestras are like. They're very temperamental. They're often fighting amongst each other. We're a heavenly orchestra. We're a heavenly sound of many gifts and talents that when put together, 
with God's love in our heart will change the world. And that's what I see here today. Well, I just want to end with one more thing. We can try and do this individually, or we can try and do it together as a group. You see the impact of this next clip and how powerful it can be.
Isn't that true, eh? It's an awesome clip. One player, two. That wasn't too bad. Three or four players. It got better. But boy, when you got everybody together playing, what an impact it had. And people were having fun too. So what can we be when we grow together and people see us with the love of God in our hearts for each other, working and contending for the truth, being discipled and growing, praying with prayer and supplication with that one accord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're building amongst us. You're building your kingdom in us. And Lord, that you're removing out the obstacles. You're removing those things that we've been relying upon that have not been of you. So that with those removed, you're working in our hearts to join us together as one. And I pray in this place that there would be that oneness of heart, oneness. And I pray for a joy and a real desire to be part of something bigger than just us. That, Lord God, we will we willingly, not under compulsion, not because we have to, but willingly lay our hearts and our lives down before him. That we may become one and be of one accord. Father, I just pray for new mindsets in this place, that there would be a rising up of your spirit in a fresh way as we prepare our hearts for what you are doing. Father, I pray for a beautiful, sweet sound to come from this place that would change the world around us. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, Chris. It was really cool, man. I really liked that. I thought it was a very powerful metaphor, particularly that last one with that massed uh, orchestra and choir. And I just, just think in there as I was just watching that and seeing the connection you had with the rest of your message that I really want to make beautiful music mm. with these people here. Mm. And when I, when I say music, of course, the metaphor for fulfilling the purpose God has given us a church, but I mean, I'm a musician, I, I play in bands, and playing, with, playing on my own is cool, playing with a few friends is cool, but there's nothing like massed voice and massed strings all playing together, and if you know this music, everyone's playing something very different, uh, or there's so many different parts that are in there, but they're all going in the same direction, and when that comes together, it is beautiful, and it moves you, and it, it changes you. And we get to do that, but with people's lives and with this world around us. Make it more beautiful as we bring God's grace and his love to bear on that. And it just, yeah, mate, it's an awesome, uh, awesome metaphor. But to do that, you need everyone. You need every instrument. You need every gift. You need every personality to create that beautiful collage. That means every single one of us. I guess that takes a willingness to get involved. I guess it takes a willingness to let someone else conduct, someone else to lead, to surrender the gift that we've been given. So I think that means for us, we've got a bit to think about. To create something like that uh, in a way that transforms people, we need to better lay a few things down. So that's certainly given me something to, to think about in terms of uh, what more I might need to lay down and how I need to continue to bring myself under those that God is leading this church through. But uh, yeah, man, certainly giving me a lot to think about. Yeah. Sound good? Mm.